1: You're pregnant and you're tired. You're newly postpartum and you're exhausted. Is sleep deprivation just a harmless part of pregnancy and postpartum, or should it be taken more seriously? I'm Dr. Barbara Perry, Professor of Psychiatry at the University of California, San Diego. And today we're learning all about the mental and emotional health aspects of sleep in pregnancy. This is Preggy Pals. Um,
2: is that a plus sign? Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting
4: from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Preggy Pals is your online, on the go support group for expecting parents and those hoping to become pregnant. I'm your host, Stephanie Glover. Thanks to all of our loyal listeners who've joined the Preggy Pals Club. Our members get special episodes, bonus content after each new show, plus special giveaways and discounts. See our website for more information. Another way that you can stay connected is by downloading our free Preggy Pals app available in the Android, iTunes, and Windows marketplaces. Samantha, our producer, is now going to give us some information about our virtual panelists program. Thanks, Stephanie. So if you're not in San Diego, but you want to be part of
3: our discussion here at Preggy Pals, we have this program called the Virtual Panelist Program. So go over to New Mommy Media at Facebook and the Preggy Pals Facebook. Like us and follow us on Instagram using hashtag PreggyPals. Pals. We'll post our questions before the show starts. And if you comment, we can incorporate your thoughts into our episode. To learn more, head over to our website, www.preggiepals.com. Great.
4: Thank you. So we'll go ahead and just uh, introduce ourselves as panelists. I'll go ahead and start. My name is Stephanie Glover. I'm 32 years old. I'm the host of Preggy Pals and as well as a stay at home mom to two daughters. Gretchen is almost three and Lydia is 10 months old. My uh, Both of my births were hospital births. The first was a cesarean, and the second a VBAC. Go ahead. Hey, everyone. I'm
2: Sunny. <laughs> Samantha and I are going to duke out who goes next. <laughs> um, I am uh, the owner of New Mommy Media, which produces the show, as well as Parent Savers, Twin Talks, and The Boob Group. And I am mommy to four children, currently under the age of four, all of them. So my oldest is turning four at the end of uh, next month, and my middle guy is two years old and I have identical twin girls who are um, about seven and a half months old now. And so uh, birthwise, I had my first was a vaginal birth and then I had two cesarean births.
3: All right. I'm Samantha. I'm the producer of Peggy Pals. I'm 22 years old. I am the mom to a 20 month old named Olivia. Um, she was an unplanned cesarean birth and I'm hoping for a be back sometime in the future. This
0: episode is brought to you by Sax.com. One of our listeners writes in with a question for our experts. She writes, I've read that waiting to cut the umbilical cord for up to three to five minutes has quantifiable benefits for the baby. If I'm considering cord blood donation to a public bank, not for private use, is there less likelihood there will be enough cells, blood, etc. in the cord if we wait to cut? I think on one of your recent podcasts, I heard that up to 70% of donations are discarded because there's not enough use. Thanks.
5: Hi, my name is Dr. Nicholas Kapitanakis, and I'm a board-certified OBGYN in San Diego, California. Uh, I just wanted to respond to a great question that was asked about cord blood banking and also waiting for the cord to stop pulsating. The research does show that if you do wait uh, up to three to five minutes for the cord to stop pulsating at the time of delivery, then when you do go to collect for cord blood banking, whether it's for private or for donation that there is a, a lower volume. And it would make sense that the majority of that blood flow would flow to the baby. There is some that goes back to the placenta. However, when you go to collect, the volume that you do have left in the collection kit is less. Sometimes when uh, you are doing it for donation, if the numbers are not high enough, the uh, cord blood uh, company will reject the sample as not enough cells um, for use. If you are doing it for private banking, in my personal practice, I do talk to patients about maybe doing a delayed clamping for a minute and then obtaining the cord blood uh, so that we can have enough volume in the cord blood collection kit and also give some to the baby. Now, for years, we used to cut the cord immediately, but now we're realizing that there are uh, benefits to the baby if we do the uh, delayed cord clamping.
4: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today we're going to be talking about how sleep in pregnancy affects the mental and emotional well-being of pregnant women. Joining us here in our studio is Dr. Barbara Perry, professor of psychiatry at the University of California, San Diego, where she is director of research of the Women's Mood Disorders Clinic. Welcome to preggy Pals, Dr. Perry. It's great to have you. Thank you. How important is sleep in pregnancy, and why is it so important?
1: Sleep is important not only in pregnancy, but other times. First, it plays a restorative function to the brain. It helps in memory consolidation. Uh, Without sleep, your immune system is compromised. Um, But one thing I'd like to emphasize is that um, one of my uh, colleagues, Dr. Thomas Weir, at the National Institutes of Health, has emphasized that Um, Our ancestors and animals have two epochs of sleep where they sleep in the early part of the night, then they have a period of quiet wakefulness, and then they have a second epoch of sleep. And during that period of quiet wakefulness is when prolactin, our mellow hormone, is secreted. Um, That's the hormone that's also involved in lactation. and in our modern day society we feel like we have to truncate our sleep into you know 7 or 8 hours and people get very anxious if uh they don't get this 7 or 8 hours of sleep and i would say one of the first things to say to pregnant postpartum women is that you know there's a lot of redundancy in the system the designer accounted for having to be up at times uh so losing a partial night of sleep is not a big issue <laughs> It will not cause a major depression, <laughs> but a depression can cause sleep disturbance, and I think the emphasis needs to be there. Um, so it's more chronic stress and chronic sleep disturbances that are uh, problematic. So, um, you know, going to sleep early, like if, if you go to sleep when the sun goes down and then you have a period of quiet wakefulness where you're in touch with your dreams or you're talking to to god is and then you go back to sleep is really the more natural state of sleep so i think it would behoove women if they're you know they wake during the middle of the night and they're sleeping quietly that that's healthy (laughs) and that's actually um, more to be recommended than trying to you know, cram it into seven or eight hours and then getting very anxious, oh, I didn't get my eight hours of sleep last night, I'm not going to be able to function. I imagine that takes some pressure off. (laughs) Yes. And um, I think that, uh, you know, sleep hygiene is probably the best way to uh, treat sleep disturbances. I mean, going to bed around the same time every day, people get into trouble when they, for example, get up at 6am every day for work, and then they try to go to Uh, Sleep in at 10 a.m. on the weekend we call that social jet lag and that's associated with eating disturbances and weight disturbances And so staying on a regular sleep schedule is very important
4: And How do naps come into play like throughout the day? Is that recommended? Well,
1: there's two uh, primary drives for sleep. We call them the process C and process S There's a homeostatic drive which if the longer you're awake the more you're likely to go to sleep And there's what we call a circadian drive. So it's hard to sleep at like 7 p.m. at night um, or 10 in the morning. And so those interact. So you may have noticed that if you stay up late partying, you're still going to wake up at your usual time. Well, that's actually pretty healthy. So, um, you know, taking naps in the afternoon, which is going to be very common for pregnant women because progesterone is secreted. Progesterone Is like essentially an anesthetic in animals it puts animals to sleep and when progesterone goes up in pregnancy um you know like tenfold so women are going to be sleepy and uh for the most part and uh, so if you're sleeping in the afternoon though then you're not likely to sleep at night so uh, i think you know you should give into it uh, but, you know, taking uh, not more more than about an hour or two okay. of a nap is probably for the best. And, of course, no caffeine or alcohol. I mean, alcohol, people think that that helps them sleep, but that's oh, terrible sure. during pregnancy and it but. just wakes them up. And and then the other thing that um, is important with people can't sleep is we have what we call a pious parchment pile, a PPP. You don't mm-hmm. want to wake and toss and turn and... You want to get up and read your pious parchment pile. It could be the history of education in the U.S. You know, I have (laughs) my medical (laughs) journals. Um, So you want to be able to um, not just use the bed for sleep. So you don't want, and you shouldn't watch TV in the bedroom. You want to associate the bedroom with sleep. So let's say if you can't sleep, you get up, you write in your worry journal, you read your PPP until you feel the wave of sleep coming back. But um, this idea that, that the room, bedroom is for TV, TV is very activating for your brain, so you do not want to be watching TV in the bedroom.
4: I'm guilty of that. I don't I know about too. you. <laughs> I am too. Um, and then I don't, I don't know about how your pregnancies were for you with fatigue. But I remember in the beginning, I, I was so tired that I couldn't not maybe take a little cat nap in the car on my lunch break when I was mm-hmm. still working. So, mm-hmm. um, but you would recommend just giving in as long as it's not over an hour. Or? Well, that's
1: adaptive. I mean, one yeah. of your functions of progesterone. So women are out, you know, running a marathon, overdoing <laughs> right. it when they're pregnant. You want to be. Um, you know, staying by the hearth and getting some rest, and so it's probably uh, adaptive for that purposes. But
4: and what are some signs of uh, sleep deprivation? Is that just you know? Is it just the normal part of pregnancy to just feel really tired and get on with it, or are there ways that we can treat it?
1: Actually, it it sounds ironic, but um, if you're sleep deprived at a, a critical stage, um, for an let's say for at least like four hours it kicks in your thyroid and it's one of the uh, great paradoxes of life but if someone has a depression if you keep them up all night a majority of them are of women are better the next day mm-hmm. men and women so it it is very very activating uh, and then they, that allows them to go back to sleep the following night mm-hmm. so again I reiterate this point of um, You know, not being able to sleep too well one night is um, not a problem. And the progesterone is probably influencing the sleepiness and is a good thing. I mean, it's meant to keep you sort of taking a nap in the middle of the day and not overdoing it.
4: If a woman hasn't really recovered um, the instances of of sleep deprivation, like on a smaller scale, if, if she's just having problems sleeping for maybe several days, weeks... Are there anything any additional things that she can do? Is anything recommended for for treatment beyond um, just scheduling your sleep and taking the TV out of the room?
1: Um, I want to emphasize one thing not to do because I saw this on this write up. You don't want to take melatonin. Okay, melatonin is inhibitory to the reproductive system um, in animals and hamsters. It's an elegantly designed system, but when if you're a hamster, when there's uh, increased darkness. Uh, During the winter months, there's more melatonin secreted. That melatonin shuts down the reproductive axis so the hamster doesn't reproduce during the winter when there's no food. And so when the spring comes and there's more light, that suppresses the melatonin, and that allows for then a recrudescence of the reproductive system. Hmm. And from what we know, humans are what we call photoperiodic. They also change with the seasons. It may not be as apparent. So you don't want to be taking melatonin Mm. to shut off your reproductive system. I mean, it's a pretty robust system. So, you know, to maintain the pregnancy, you've got, you know, plenty of your estrogen and progesterone around. But some people think, oh, you know, these over-the-counter things. And I would say no. Mm.
3: That's Mm. fascinating. Do Do you not recommend melatonin? in general, for anybody, say, um, you know, a male of childbearing age that's taking melatonin because he can't sleep on a regular basis, do you even discourage that because it's just generally not good for your reproductive system at uh, all? No, no,
1: I think it's it can be very helpful for shifting the circadian rhythm. Oh, okay. So, for example, if someone is, um, you know, we tend to be either larks or owls, mm-hmm. morning people or evening people, you know, as Bed Franklin said, the early to bed, early to rise makes them." Person healthy, wealthy, and wise, and so, and and people who are more owls tend to have more problems with weight gain and sleep disturbance and mood disturbances. Mm-hmm. But light is the most powerful synchronizer of um, circadian rhythm. So if you get out, and it's got to be bright light, and you got to have your eyes open. But if you go, let's say you're an owl type person, you can't get to sleep. Taking a walk in the early morning hours will help ship, uh, shift that rhythm earlier. And light in the evening uh, will tend to shift it later. Now, you know, women from our studies, the women who uh, tend to be pregnant or who are pregnant tend to be more shifted earlier. And the women who are postpartum tend to be shifted later. That's the effect of the changing reproductive hormones um, from all the evidence we have. So, um, the other way you can you know, improved sleep as you get out and you're active and you get light during the day. That's going to increase your mel- natural melatonin at night and help you sleep better. So the healthy lifestyle of, you know, activity and light. Uh, there's You know, there's more of a contrast in making sure the room is cool and dark. So the brain thrives on that contrast. So, you know, just sort of being in dim light. Uh, is not not good for our brains and we have more awakening. so oh,
4: how interesting interesting. yeah. Well, great. So when we come back, we'll discuss uh, sleep in relation to mood disorders. We'll be right back. So welcome back. Today on Preggy Pals, we're discussing sleep and pregnancy in regards to mental and emotional health. Dr. Barbara Perry is our expert. So can sleep deprivation lead to other mental or emotional conditions? Well, I want to emphasize
1: that, for example, depression, one of the most characteristic features of depression is sleep disturbance, and it often heralds the onset of a depression. So for example, a woman who is uh, postpartum after delivery if she can't sleep uh, even when the child is sleeping we want to watch her very carefully because that can predate the onset of the depression so um, and ironically this is one of life's great paradoxes but if you take someone who is depressed and you keep them up all night you don't even have to keep them up all of night just half of the night A majority of them are better the next day. It works better than any antidepressant. The problem is, is that when they go back to sleep, they may get their depression back again. So we're now trying to, using, if we can get this antidepressant effect of restricting sleep, then we can maintain it with light but light just takes longer to work. So we're trying to, at least in our studies, and they've done this in other studies as well, we're focusing on the pregnant and postpartum women. We try to get the antidepressant effect and then maintain it uh, with light. So it's much more that um, sleep and depression are linked. So you don't really cause by, you know, a night of sleep deprivation, you don't cause a major depression that would take like six months of you know stress and chronic insomnia and it might exacerbate it but you know if you've been up all night on for whatever reason you may find that you feel a little buzzed you know and that's your thyroid's kicking in so you may actually feel more energized so and most antidepressants ironically work by knocking out a, uh, a certain stage of sleep called rapid eye movement or REM sleep when we do most of our dreaming and so Uh, There was an investigator who just woke people up when they went into this REM sleep and it had antidepressant effects. So there was a very tight link between sleep and depression, but most of the, if you've got a depression, uh, inevitably you're probably going to have sleep disturbance, but sleep disturbance in and of itself does not lead to major mental illness.
4: That's great to know. And, And I don't know, have either of you experienced that buzz that she talks about? Like you were up all night maybe with the baby? And you just don't think you can function, but all of a sudden you have maybe some burst of energy. Have you either of you felt that?
3: Yeah, like a second wind almost. It's like you're so tired in the morning because you hadn't slept very well, but in the afternoon it was like, okay, like this is all right. Maybe I'll make it until 8 p.m. when I know I can go back to sleep. So yeah, I think there were a lot of days in the early postpartum days when I did have that.
4: Yeah, I I can even see it now. My daughter's 10 months, but not, not a good sleeper. So we're still up some nights it feels like I still have a newborn. Um, And there, you know, you get up in the morning and part of you is thinking, Oh, I I don't know how I can, I don't know how I can go, go through this day. And part of me wondered if it was mind over mattered because I would Mm -hmm. notice. Oh, all of a sudden I've cleaned the house and I don't know where I drew upon this energy. (laughs) But, Maybe it wasn't my mind over matter at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I should let you know that the melatonin in the child usually goes up about three months postpartum. So it's about three months when most children start sleeping through the night. Can you give babies melatonin? <laughs> <laughs> well, they've begun to. They have
4: begun to. Because <laughs> <laughs> mine's ten months old and it's not looking and looking anytime <laughs> soon. Um, And so you mentioned this light study. Um, Is that used as a treatment yet, or is this still just being looked into more? Well,
1: it is an experimental treatment. um, But yes, again, ironically, you know, women who are depressed either during pregnancy or postpartum are not always good candidates for medication. There are some medications that can be used safely, but many women choose not to use them. So we find that if we Ironically, keep them up just for half the night. It, it has to be a, a, like four hours straight. It can't be just tossing and turning. And it's depending upon if their biological rhythms are shifted earlier or later, we keep them up either in the first half of the night or the second half of the night. And a majority of them feel much better the next day. And um, then we maintain that effect with the light treatment. And again, the timing of the light depends upon their own internal rhythms. So we are trying to develop non-pharmacologic treatments for this. And if anyone in the San Diego area is interested in participating, can I mention the number? Absolutely. Uh, And so that number is area code uh, uh, 619-543-7393.
4: Great. Thank you. And are there any effects uh, on the baby of the sleeplessness that can occur in, in pregnancy and postpartum? Are there any direct, directly related effects to the baby?
1: Well, we know that depression definitely affects the fetus as well as the infant, and that has long-term repercussions. So, um, a l- you know, one night of partial sleep deprivation, we've not noticed any um Adverse effects, but if you can bring someone out of a depression, you're definitely going to be helping the child. Uh, again, in utero or postpartum, and we can get that effect within one day, uh, unlike most other, for example, antidepressant medications that take at least you know three three weeks to work. Right. So, and they usually then when we monitored their sleep. The um, the sleep improves the following night. What happens is their melatonin and their circadian rhythms are maladjusted in terms of the, time with the timing with relation to sleep. And so this sort of like resets the rhythm. It's sort of like if you had an irregular heartbeat, uh, if you have a little bit of a shock, you set reset the uh, rhythm. And so we're essentially resetting the rhythm. We're overriding the irregularity
2: so if it affects the child do we know in what ways and i don't want to get too medical on this but um in what ways it can impact a child like sleep deprivation for the mother who is pregnant do we know what that can do to a baby in utero exactly
1: no because i mean i think it's natural that a woman's going to use you know yeah lose sleep at some point yeah sure. i mean if you're like a whale you migrate down for six months you, the whale gets no sleep <laughs> if you're a dolphin it only sleeps on half of their brain yeah and so uh. whoever designed the system <laughs> is going to account for that okay so we have not noticed okay. absor- you know yeah. i mean uh, any way we can measure it yeah. we've not okay. observed okay. any abnormal effects and but again i need to emphasize that uh, a depression w- we know mm-hmm. will, uh, depression. Yeah. will affect the fetus and, and the child
4: And so in in relation to light and just other environmental factors, so we know maybe no TV in the room, Um, but what other things can we do within our sleeping environment to help us? Do blackout curtains help? Um, Sort of any other, anything we could do with Yes,
1: a cool, dark room. And the other factor that regulates sleep is temperature. So the idea of a hot bath, you know, around four to five hours before uh, sleep onset time, you know, or exercise around, you know, like... Four to 6 p.m. Um, because basically that heats up your core body temperature and then you need to reduce that you need to like hibernate mm-hmm. so the old nightcaps and the socks at the beginning of bed so that you're warm when you go to bed but then it allows you to uh, expand your arteries and veins and lose heat uh, so it should be you know you should be have warm feet and a warm head when you go to bed <laughs> And then you should have a very cool dark room, you know, without noise. <laughs> uh, you shouldn't have, you know, a lot of light. And if you get up to use the, um, the restroom, you should not turn on bright lights because that will shut down your melatonin. So you want to have those little night lights and very dim lights. Um, I remember my mom came to visit and I purposely had, you know, my, the lights over my uh, bathroom sink. I, we're very dim. She said, oh, you need to get new lights. <laughs> and I said, no, no, because uh, Dr. Seisler from Harvard is recommended. We <laughs> really keep these lights very dim.
4: <laughs> and you should probably then turn the the cell phone
2: yeah. T- yeah.
1: messages
4: off so that that's not waking you up. Yes, me.
1: and the computer. Right. All There's of that is
2: probably ranks right up there with TV, right, as far as yeah. stimulating yourself. Right. And yeah. And then things
1: like... Um, You know, tryptophan uh, is in milk and bananas, and that is the precursor to serotonin, which helps you sleep. So a glass of warm milk a little before bedtime, not big carbohydrate meals. Um, You know, bananas are good. And, you know, eating a healthy diet so that you're not, you need to have a period where you don't have a lot of calories during the middle of the night. Um, To function well.
4: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Perry, for joining us. Uh, For more information about Dr. Perry and the Women's Mood Disorders Clinic, as well as the study for light and for sleep and light therapy in relation to pregnancy and postpartum depression, that phone number again is 619-543-7393. And that's um, available to San Diego listeners. You can also check out more of that information on our website, preggypals.com. This conversation continues for members of our Preggy Pals Club. After the show, Dr. Perry is going to be discussing sleep deprivation, postpartum, and in relation to breastfeeding. To join our club, visit our website, preggypals.com. Look,
6: Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, preggy Pals. I'm Crystal Studendeck, maternity fashion expert and founder of Borrow for Your Bump, where you can buy or rent maternity styles for a monthly rate. Today, we are going to talk about the upcoming fall fashion trends for moms-to-be. These little ideas and wardrobe essentials are stylish and versatile as your bump grows and can easily transform your look as a new season approaches. Trend number one is the long-sleeve mini. The key to this statement dress is to show skin in some areas while keeping others covered up. We love long-sleeve styles that show off more legs. The trick is to keep the fit loose and flowing. Add a belt or tie over the bump, which will create curves. For fall, we love the colors of condiments. Think olive greens and mustard yellows. To tie this look together, avoid a skinny heel and try a comfy wedge boot. Trend two is sexy stripes. Whether you are more on the hippie side or if you want to create curves, stripes is one detail that works for many body types. Stick with thinner stripes and dark colors. Wider stripes can make your bump and backside appear larger. Focus on a fit that hugs your curves and has ruched sides. This type of dress looks good on many body types, whether you want to create curves or even balance wide hips. Tie the look together with some flat knee-high boots. For our third trend, prints are all the hype this fall. Have fun with different styles, but make sure that the colors match. We love a silky print dress for a more dressed-up look with purple and aqua tones. Dress prints down by taking a fun print blouse and pair with skinny jeans. For colors, we love orange and navy and cream with a tan boot. You're probably seeing this next trend everywhere, leather. We love this look for moms-to-be. Pair a comfy pair of stretched leather leggings with a basic gray sweater, or for a retro look, try a navy polka dot blouse and a fun, rusty-colored heel. Add a fun hairpiece like a birdcage for a sleek style. Our final trend for fall is dressed-up details. An incredible cocktail dress that can be worn from fall into winter is a must-have. Dice up the standard little black dress and find a style with beaded detail on an empire waist. An LBD with a little bit of lace is also seasonless. Many of these fall trends can be found at borrowforyourbump.com. Enter promo code PreggyPals at checkout to save 20% on your entire order. Thanks for listening to today's fall fashion trends and be sure to listen to PreggyPals for more great pregnancy tips
4: that wraps up our show for today we appreciate you listening to preggy pals don't forget to check out our sister shows parent savers for parents with newborns infants and toddlers twin talks for parents of multiples and our show the boob group for moms who who breastfeed their babies this is preggy pals your pregnancy your way
5: this has been a new mommy media production the information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only Please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare provider.
2: New Mommy Media is expanding our lineup of shows for new and expecting parents. If you have an idea for a new series, or if you're a business or organization interested in joining our network of shows through a co-branded podcast, visit newmommymedia.com.
6: Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable with stretchy comfort for all of babies' first moments, and it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah Quality for your most precious gift Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.
2: Hey, mamas